Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Good morning to you. It certainly looks like the uh, chaos president who supposedly has such a brilliance about optics and uh, changing the narrative and and controlling it. Uh, looks like he's screwed up on this one. Bigly, as he used to say. This is such a muck up for them, it's beyond be- belief. Uh, Chris Hayes uh, uh, said, so right now if you were to look at what uh, the message is on immigration um, uh, coming out of the uh, of the White House, especially specifically on the separation of children. Uh, Number one, they said this is a deterrent. This is to keep people from coming. And they were quite clear about that. Uh, Number two, it is, um, it's in the Bible. (laughs) They were quite quite clear on that too. Number three, it's uh, it's the Democrats' fault. And uh, number four is uh, they aren't doing it. Separating children from their parents, that is not our policy, period. That was the head of uh, Homeland Security, uh, Ms. Nielsen on Fox, of course. This is one little battle uh, the Democrats have out uh, outmaneuvered this uh, media-savvy White House on. And uh, anyone who couldn't outmaneuver them on this <laughs> would be deaf, dumb, and blind. So I'm not exactly clapping Democrats on the back for uh, looking like they're winning this battle for the hearts and minds of Americans. If there are people who are capable of watching the news stories that are now out there, of who have been able to see children being taken from their parents and not feel ashamed for their country, embarrassed, um, enraged, sick, Sick, I mean, heart sick for these children and their parents. Um, I would not be able to recognize that person as a fellow human. Or I'm in denial. This is they are human. I know they are. They're human. So I guess uh, hu- human beings. Uh, I guess being one, I like to think we're we're okay. Well, obviously, we're not. Might be the worst animal on the planet. Do you see the other news that uh, animals uh, who never were nocturnal are becoming nocturnal so they can avoid humans? Animals that never in their evolutionary life have been nocturnal, aren't even outfitted to be nocturnal, might not have great night vision or any of that. They do not. They are still deciding it's much better 
to avoid these other horrible animals. That'd be us. Then there's this piece from the Washington Post. The small shelter along the Texas border to Mexico held 60 beds and a little playground. Rooms were equipped with toys, books, and crayons. To Colleen Craft, the shelter looked in many ways like a friendly environment for children. But the first child who caught the prominent pediatrician's eye during a recent visit was anything but happy. Inside this room dedicated to toddlers was a little girl no older than two, screaming and pounding her fists on a mat. A woman tried to give her toys and books to calm her down, but even that worker seemed frustrated because as much as she wanted to console the little girl, she could not touch, hold, or pick her up to let her know everything would be all right. That was the rule, Kraft said she was told. They are not allowed to touch the children. Uh, I didn't get much further than that. A crying, no older than two-year-old child taken from her mom, alone with strangers, and the strangers, there's not even an adult around that can pick her up and comfort her. And that's just one little child uh, affected by the zero tolerance policy of this administration, which could be stopped right now with a simple phone call from the president, despite what he says is his somehow powerlessness, that it has to be done legislatively. He can stop it in a second. It is a discretionary thing, that discretion. Yeah, this is their idea. They're doing it. Yes, the Obama administration could have done this under the law that exists. Yes, George W. Bush and his presidency could have done this um, in their discretion. They did not. But under this vile, cruel, I've used the word many times, administration, 2,000 children just in the last six weeks, probably more because I, uh, I think that leaves out the last week, uh, over 2,000 children have been snatched from their parents. And, you know, I, I know I, any child psychologist will tell you that this is damaging. And it's not just damaging in a fleeting kind of a way. 
It's the kind of traumatizing incident that can scar a human being for the rest of their lives. It can literally change the way their brain functions. So for that little child sobbing on that, on that plastic mat surrounded by toys and crayons and all that other stuff, inconsolable and not to be touched. Hormones are being released in her b little body. And those hormones have a, a toxic effect in many ways later if that kind of really literally doctors will say it can lead to heart disease it can lead to all kinds of emotional issues because this is a kind of poison it's a toxic stress emotional stressor and um, children under the age of 10 are most susceptible to this kind of of long-term uh, almost yeah PTSD kind of uh, reaction child psychologist uh, Megan Gunner said those under five years should get us all running around with our hair on fire to get this stopped so you have what I think it's hundreds of religious organizations of every faith, Christian, Muslim, Jewish, Hindu, uh, Universalists, uh, Baha'i, uh, I'm sorry for people I'm forgetting, I'm sorry, coming out and saying this is unconscionable. Mental health professionals, doctors. Here's another quote, to pretend that separated children do not grow up with the shrapnel of this traumatic experience embedded in their minds is to disregard everything that is known about child development. Tent cities, they're planning. They're running out of space. Tent cities. My God. The sweet, silent, demure Laura Bush, former first lady, is beside herself and wrote an opinion piece in the Washington Post. saying in a more demure manner everything I have just said. And um, just so you know, there are so many of these kids. They're not all being housed, uh, you know, in Texas and uh, along our southern border. Um, there are 50 of these children right here. right up on Ohio River Boulevard at Holy Family Institute. Yeah, 
Did you know that? Fifty of them have been transferred here to Holy Family Institute. Now I know the good uh, the good women there. This is an institute affiliated with the Catholic Church. I know uh, that Sister uh, Linda Yankowski, who who is the CEO and runs it as a you know as a good woman, and I know that the people there who've had experience, they took in a lot of the Haitian children after uh, the horror of the earthquake there. They have a lot of Spanish-speaking staff. They know how to help. I don't know if they're under the same policy that they can't touch. I guess they would be because they have a contractual relationship with uh, Health and Human Services. It's uh, the only facility in, in Pittsburgh, in Pittsburgh area. And so there are five of these kids, five, 50, excuse me, of these kids here, and they will not leave. You know, everybody says they're not in jail, but they cannot leave. <laughs> That's where they are. Uh, there is a, you know, outdoor uh field for recreation and they'll have some time out there but there they are separated from their mothers their dads oh by the way uh, Bishop Zubik uh, here has uh, just one of uh, untold numbers of uh, Catholic uh, religious leaders who have uh, criticized. I don't I don't know how strong his statement is, but it, it goes against absolutely everything that Jesus ever taught. I mean, it seems to me that when you look at the Bible, there's certain things that just sort of occur over and over and over and again in throughout throughout the uh, the uh, first 5 books and then on through um the Christianized books and over and over and I, I constantly we are told to uh, take in the stranger aren't we I mean if I I mean just constantly it, it's a reoccurring theme to welcome the stranger to take in the stranger to for to help the least of us, that these are the ones that that God, that actually embody God more than any of us, the least of us. And um, one of you, Richard, uh, sent me a... a a wonderful um, link. I still haven't had time to deal, uh, listen to it all, but I want to bring a little information history into um, this topic. Um, he points us to uh, a podcaster, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, and he has a podcast titled General Chapman's Last Stand. 
And believe it or not, this is about American history, and this is about American history in regard to immigration, and especially about Mexican immigration. Uh, this is something, uh, you know, Mexican immigration to the United States is something that has been extensively studied by academics for a long, 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 long time. And um, Princeton, for instance, has a project, an ongoing project called the Mexican Migration Project. And it compiles all kinds of data, facts, facts, remember those. And it shows how the pattern of Mexican immigration into the United States has changed from what used to be called circular migration. That is what it was for most of the history of Mexican migration to the United States. Mexicans would come to the United States, find work, make some money, and go back. They'd go back with their money to their families. And if they needed to, they'd make the trip again and do that. But they didn't want to stay in the United States. They wanted to be with their families, of course. And because it was a circular migration, the net immigration, the people who stayed, was relatively low. The ones coming from our southern border. Now, it's unclear to me when this happened, because it isn't in the little piece I have. But the circular migration pattern that had typified the flow of people in want of employment uh, from our southern border, crossing our southern border, it changed because of a Marine Corps commandant named Leonard Chapman. And here is where I'm not clear because I haven't listened to the podcast, which obviously will give um, me the information I'm lacking to tell you. But Chapman made it his mission to enforce border regulations. And this has to be relatively recently because all of a sudden crossing that border became so difficult, so fraught, so dangerous that these Mexican men... once they got through, were fearful of going back and then making that hazardous trip again. So the circular migration that had been the way it was mostly occurring stopped. And the men who managed to cross the border didn't go back to their families, but they wanted their families. So you would send for them, tell them 
It's hard, but you got to make it. Just give it a shot and join me. And that's when the women and the children began to come. So these people who never wanted to be American, just wanted to make some money to feed and to care for their families, and then return, and they did labor that America wanted done. You know, they did a lot of agricultural work, domestic work, landscape work, all that kind of stuff that is still being done. But when they got enough money, back they went to their wives and their children and their families. And now there was no certainty they could ever do that. The border was too tight. It was all too frightening. And so instead of circular immigration, what we have now is permanent illegal immigrants who had only wanted to be temporary, but it that wall now essentially is changed how they have to operate. And this permanent illegal immigrant who in the past would have gone back to Mexico, stayed here, had children here. Those children are now the dreamers. Well, no, the ones who had children here. The kids born here are not dreamers. They're American citizens. But when they called for their families to come join them, and so the families came with infants and two, three, four, five-year-olds, those are the dreamers who never would have come. And it, it struck me how, how policy, we got to get tough on the border security, how policy can create so many unintended consequences. That which seems like a very reasonable thing to do can instead beget a much worse problem, which is exactly what has happened. Things would be much better if we just loosened that those barriers down and had some circular migration again, perhaps. But policymakers uh, in our country, and I suppose in most countries, are not known for taking a long view. They're very short-sighted, inevitably short-sighted. They seem to lack imagination. <laughs> they seem to be incapable of saying, okay, well, let's imagine that this is what we do. What will be the effect? What will be the impact on the people trying to cross, on the people who do manage to cross, on our economy, on blah, blah, blah. Figure it out. Do the, you know, imagine it. And maybe rejigger that policy a little. Don't hold your breath.
you know, I I started uh, reading that piece uh, from the Post about the little girl who could not be picked up. And um, the uh, this doctor, Co Colleen Kraft was her name, uh, who is, I guess, a, a very well-known and respected pediatrician, I think. She said in that article, America is better than this. And I, I, I don't know that that's true. <laughs> These, the, what you are looking at, what she was looking at, is the result of American policy that has been um, embraced by the party in power, by Trump and the Republican Party, and um, they are the face of America, largely, now. The president is the representation, the corporeal representation of the country. And so to say America is better than this uh, begs the question, well, then why are we looking at this? <laughs> so I don't think we are, obviously. We want to think we're better than this. And I'm heartened that it took this kind of heart-wrenching scenery to bring Americans out. But I'd like to see more. If anything ever begged for us to be in the streets, it would be this. And we've been watching this now for a little bit of time, right? I appreciate uh, the Democratic uh, legislators and Congress people who have visited some of these shelters and have, uh, because of their presence, brought cameras uh, with them, thus bringing this story to more and more Americans even those living in, in the Trump land of make-believe. and um, But see, those guys watching Fox News literally were told by the woman who heads all of this. The head of Homeland Security. We have no policy of separating children and families. Period, she said. So this is how the uh, the contagion of having the President of the United States be such a pathological liar. Someone who lies constantly with a straight face, probably even believes what he's saying. He's either deranged and or a pathological liar. I don't know. I can't pretend to know that psychology. It begets a monster. But here is a woman who probably, I don't know, what, and now she, she works for him and she goes full Trump. And she's with his enablers, Fox and Friends, and they all nod their heads. I believe they also said, 
We're hearing that those children are being kept in cages. Those aren't cages. Well, some of us have seen pictures. They sure look like cages. If I were, they're big cages, but they're, you know, they're, what do you call that? What do you call that? Chain link fencing. Uh, and, and I guess that's what one of these idiots was as Ducey uh, said. They just are, they, they've put, uh, rather than walls, chain link fences. <laughs> so if you have, instead of four walls, you have four chain link fences. That uh, gets, uh, that looks like a cage. <laughs> but Fox viewers are being told those are just walls you can see through. God help us. Do we have a call? All righty. Hello. Hi, Lynn. This is Josie. Um, I was uh, listening to what you were saying. I, I, I got on a little bit late, but I was listening to what you were saying about how it used to be with the, um, the Mexicans coming over the border. And I was born and raised in uh, San Diego. And my sister, uh, this is in the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. and my sister um, is uh, 13 years older than I am. So she was married, had her own family, and they lived right on the outskirts of the city of San Diego, and they had a little bit of property. And um, they always had Mexicans working um, for them, always, as long as I can remember. Um, they would, you know, they would, my, my brother-in-law had fruit trees, and they tended the fruit trees, and they had... Some animals because they were in 4-H and and they helped the kids tend the animals and these Mexican men like you said would work during the week and on the weekends they went back across the border and um, that was just the way of life and on Monday they'd come back again and work um, I think mm -hmm. it was illegal I see I, I don't remember too much about it but um, I think it was illegal um, but it wasn't a big deal um, and, uh, you know, my sister would feed them lunch, and and uh, I remember my brother-in-law saying what good workers they were and, um, and, and stuff like that. Uh, if you would drive between San Diego and Los Angeles and go up um, Highway 5 up there, there would always be a checkpoint where they would, where they would check for illegals. So um, I remember, you know, I, at that point I knew it was illegal for, uh, you know, they were looking for illegal uh, Mexicans coming up. But um, everyone, I, I mean, it wasn't uncommon, let me put it that way, it was not uncommon for people to have Mexican workers. And no. it was, um, everyone knew about it. it but as like you, it but as you say... It was the men who came up to do work because work was mm -hmm. available. Uh, and mm -hmm. then they would work and they would go home to right. Mexico, to their families. But now what the, the result has been is that the, because they, it was, became too impossible and or dangerous, or you wouldn't be assured that you could get back and forth and back and forth, that's when the families so started mm -hmm. to come north. Yes. Mm -hmm. And there we have it. And and everyone had, I mean, there were, uh, it was very common. And because they were hard workers and it, the labor was cheap. Right. I know my brother-in-law didn't pay them a whole heck of a lot, but 
to them, to the workers, it was a lot of money. And they would, like you said, take it back on the weekends. It was just, they would take it back. Wow. And I remember asking, because I was younger, I remember asking, well, where is so-and-so? Because they were nice guys. And, and they'd say, oh, it's, you know, it's Saturday. They've gone to be with their families. They'll be back on Monday. And that's the way it was. And everybody around there had Mexicans working. The Mexicans did the lawn work. They mowed the lawns. They, you they, know, they if still you had do. Animals, they helped tend the animals. Yeah. Animals. Yeah. And they and were not taking them. Yeah, that's the right. So you saw, you saw what I was oh, saying. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's was, fascinating. Was, I just wanted to let you know that yes, I yes, that indeed happened. You saw circular migration uh, in action. Yes. Thank you. Wonderful call. Thank You're you so welcome. much. Thank you. Bye bye. 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 Mm -hmm. Bye. 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 Yeah, that's something. So, what else we got here? You know how I say that I've said to you, you gotta <laughs> don't agonize, get up and act, don't wring your hands, do something. Um, and I understand the feeling of just like, blah, 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 like what? And, um, you know, there are plenty of things to do, even if it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be political, you know, it could be uh, volunteering um, at a number of charities that, that deal with the, uh, the result, <laughs> the human result of uh, current policy. Um, and it could be becoming more politically active. There was a piece, remember I've told you, you can get news, local news. You just have to maybe, you know, in other words, give a little uh, donation to uh, WESA, the uh, station NPR 90.5 uh, FM, which I think if you do listen to it, and you should, uh, do. It's a marvelous radio station. And then they send you every morning the, and throughout the day news. And they have a, uh, so that's one source. And I got this from their post uh, this morning, WESA-FM, um, that the Democratic Party in Pennsylvania is seeing um, enthusiasm at the grassroots level that it has not seen, I God knows, in a gazillion years. So they specifically talk about uh, Jefferson Hills and Bethel Park, and those are these uh, southern uh, suburbs of, of Pittsburgh, conservative, though that would be Trump voters mostly, but there's still tons of Democrats out there. And those Democrats, they talk to a number of them, are are doing something. They 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 started meeting together. Started with a little uh, a little advertisement in in their local paper, uh, in the South Hills Messenger, and the South Hills Record, uh, asking people who are interested in supporting the Jefferson Hills Democratic Party to come to a meeting. And initially 10 people showed up. 
And out of those 10, there began to be some activity. And then, lo and behold, some of those people ran for the Democratic Committee. Now they're on the Democratic Committee. And that is the way, if you want to start having an impact, these are people responsible for getting the vote out. That's where it's going to happen. It doesn't happen up there. It happens down here on the streets in your own neighborhood. And if you're not a leader-like person, they need foot soldiers. <laughs> Be a foot soldier. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was a, it's a very compelling article about how, wow, um, at a recent meeting in Bethel Park, the Democratic Committee had 50 people there. And I'm looking at a picture of them. And let me tell you something, it's overwhelmingly female. Not all, but overwhelmingly it's women. If anybody saves this country, it's going to be women and black people. And obviously then the greatest hero is a black woman. They're the ones. That is the strongest demographic group. Black woman up here and white males down there. And I know there's black women who aren't at all uh, you know, political, and I know there's plenty of wonderful white men. But demographically speaking. So, again, just a little shout-out, first of all, to give some money to WESA and get on their WESA.FM. Maybe you can get it without, but I can't imagine. Um, and, and just keep, we posted some of the places on my Facebook page. Uh, and, and think about it, okay? Get your news from someplace else. Because... Um, It's really despicable how John Block, the publisher and editor-in-chief of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, who has now turned that paper into a Trump propaganda rag, um, has been very talkative all of a sudden. He who would not say boo while he was trying to muscle Rob Rogers into a position where he would quit now, all of a sudden, he's so talkative. Why, he was attending his, no, his, what was this? His reunion at his private school, Hotchkiss, is that, is that what it is? Yeah, I think so. And he was asked about firing Rob Rogers, and he said, He's just become too angry for his health or for his own good. He's obsessed with Trump. Well, um, you name me an editorial cartoonist who's not obsessed with Trump these days. <laughs> you name me a paper that's not obsessed with Trump or a news show that's not... It's all Trump all the time now. And if you're a political cartoonist, 
That is mostly what you're dealing with. Although Rob did do other cartoons, and even those were not run. Did it about the NFL. Did one about Roseanne Barr. He did, and they were not run. They were not about Trump. And it's so nice to know that John Block, who just fired Rob Rogers, um, and thus, I guess he loses his health insurance, uh, so, um, so concerned about Rob's health. So I guess he fired him because he wanted um, him to uh, get healthier. Mind-blowing. So the Post-Gazette is keeping up this uh, s sort of slanderous uh, and, and not, not truthful account of what happened uh, with Rob. And I was very unhappy with a large New York Times piece on Rob's firing in the New York Times on uh, Saturday. It was on the second page of, I'm, I'm thinking, the second page of the business section. And it was most of the page. And I swear they quoted Burris and Block telling their lies as much as they did uh, allow Rob to respond. And it was a very kind of tepid piece that if you knew nothing about it, you'd come away saying, well, I don't know. I guess the guy really went over the, went over the top. I don't know. So, I mean, name me someone who traffics in political humor, be it Stephen Colbert or Rob Rogers, who isn't obsessed with Donald Trump. Eh? And 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 here again, here's what uh, here's here's a few more quotes, and this is in a. Um, A piece from Politico. Uh, he said, Block said, he, he said the firing was because Rob lacked diversity of subjects. And the publisher said, I wanted clever and funny instead of angry and mean. Well, it's in the eye of the beholder. I think those of us who appreciated Rob's talent saw his cartoons as clever and funny, albeit a, <laughs> a dark humor. They were no meaner than Rob is or has been to anyone in the... I mean, you ascend to a position of power. The job of an editorial cartoonist is to give you trouble. That's the job. Afflict the powerful, is it not? It has been. I went to journalism school. I have a degree. I'm telling you, that's the job. 
And then here's something interesting that J.R. Block told Politico. He said that the newspaper has picked up more conservative readers recently after the Tribune Review stopped printing a daily. And Robinson said, excuse me, and Block said, we're trying to have some acceptability to them. So this is the business model. He thinks that he can, who cares about the liberal Post-Gazette subscribers, they can go to hell. He can make a go of it by attracting former Tribune Review because that's the paper is now the Tribune Review. Make no mistake. Um... So, I spoke to a number of people over the weekend and every one of them had canceled their subscription. I know that's not what the folks that are there now want, but damn, I don't know what else you're supposed to do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Why would I support with my money a publication that makes my skin crawl and, and uh, that that has this power and is now using it in opposition to everything that I care about. As for the news, I can get that elsewhere and that's where I'm going to go. Scott, who listens to this show, sent uh, Keith Burris a little note the other day. He said this, Congratulations, Mr. Burris. You have made your former employee, Rob Rogers, one of the most famous cartoonists on the planet. One hell of a businessman. Well, I told Rob the same. I said, you, uh, you have more power now than you've ever had. So draw away. Draw away. We have another call. Go ahead, caller. Hello. Hello. Uh, hey, uh, yeah, I was, I won't say anything about where or anything, but, because uh, I didn't talk to them, but I saw, uh, Rob Rogers and Tony Norman mm-hmm. yesterday, both of whom looked in pretty good spirits, so that made me feel a little bit better, <laughs> uh, that he must have some irons in the fire. Uh, so, because I didn't want to talk to them because I had just canceled my subscription and I didn't really want to bring down their conversation by telling them that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, uh, even still, it was, uh, I don't know, it was, I guess, good to see them laughing quite heartily together and for quite a while. So um, that was nice. Okay, um, and well. Yeah, so uh, other than that, I just wanted to say, yeah, I've been trying to look into joining the local democratic party too i live outside of town and right after the election it was pretty pretty uh uh pretty glum group <laughs> uh so yeah i gotta get thanks for pointing that out and i'm gonna try to do that too so wonderful that's great uh, yeah so 
Thank you. I think you're right. That's that's pretty much exactly. I agree with everything you said on that. But that's you gotta. You can't change things unless you change that that machine that gave us that horrible Senate candidate. That's that right. Gotten rid of. Right. So. That, and the, and right. you can do Thank it. You. you can do it. You just start you, you, taking yeah, over no, these committees right. <laughs> because it's just a bunch. Of, those people have had stopped. I, I cannot tell you how many big. Uh, Democratic office holders around here who I bump into at certain events have said to me every time I bring up, you know, the Democratic Party, I always tell them, it's just, a, you know, I start screaming about it, and they all have the same line. They say, the Democratic Party, it doesn't even exist. They're talking yeah, about yeah. that structure. They know those people have ceased to function. That doesn't mean the structure's not there for the taking oh yeah no i agree that's right the group consisted solely of people the ones that i was meeting with a, a year and a half ago were people their sole reason to exist was to hold the spaghetti dinners that's right Just and we actually that the yeah. night of that meeting there was this, one of their major members actually stood in front of everyone and just made fun of everyone who thought that uh who, everyone that basically disagreed with the outcome of the election i was thinking that this guy is actually a, a democrat <laughs> No, they so need to be, just, yeah. It's bizarre. Right. So people, yeah, you need to, uh, there needs to be an insurgency, which will result in a resurgence of these lower levels of the party, because that then makes you, it's, you end up ending up perhaps being a delegate to a convention, all this stuff. This is how you take power. So again... Don't yeah. agonize. Organize. Yeah, you know, like you said, it obviously is taking place. So it's time for people like me to get over it and uh, yeah, get in there again. So oh, I that hope you, everybody does that. Thank you. That, I <laughs> right, thank I you. love you All for right. it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. 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 Wow, that's fantastic. Hey, what a world we live in. Here's two things I got from the last issue of The Week magazine. And they have this little little column that usually just has two little stories on it. And it it's headlined, um, the column, Only in America. Sort of like something you would have seen in the Reader's Digest. But here is, I'm going to read both of the Only in America pieces from The Week this week. And unfortunately, this is now what's happening in America. Conservative lawmakers have stripped Michigan's social studies curriculum of any reference to civil rights, climate change, or core democratic values. State Senator Patrick Kolbeck said these phrases are not politically neutral. Civil rights, climate change, core democratic principles, that's a small d. Other references removed from the social studies curriculum of the public schools of the state of Michigan include 
the NAACP. Roe v. Wade and gay rights. Now, I remember when I was a kid, and you know, the Soviet Union was the so our, our terrifying, uh, you know, enemy. And I remember just being blown away by, you know, when when one head of state, like when Khrushchev went out, and then seeing the jockeying that went on, and and you know Brezhnev takes over and all of this and then how uh we were told that like history books were rewritten um certainly after Stalin i mean that 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 you just change the history so that people were taught what you wanted them to be taught and things that you did not like just disappeared as if they'd never happened and here is this in Michigan where a child now attending a Michigan school is if they have the latest books or I guess whatever the mandate is for teachers, social studies teachers, how do you you talk about, for instance, the history of this country without talking about civil rights, the NAACP? And it it further says that Students in Michigan will be taught that, quote, the expansion of rights for some can be viewed as an infringement of rights and freedoms of others. Only in America or the Soviet Union. And here's the other story from Only in America. A Massachusetts school is teaching kindergarten students a new nursery rhyme that includes these lines. Lock down, lock down, lock the door. Shut the lights off, say no more. Go behind the desk and hide. I don't know what the next line is because that's where they... Kindergartners! Learning new. Lock down, lock down, lock the door. I remember when somebody pointed out to me that uh, one of the nursery rhymes that I sang out with my friends when I was a child was, uh, and there's, it's still going, ring around the rosy, pocket full of hosies, ashes, ashes, we all fall down that that had a very dark <laughs> beginning and it was about the bubonic plague we all fall down being dead and i forget the other sites ring around the rosy did somebody get like a little red spots and a uh, pocket full of posies, not sure what that would be. Ashes, ashes were, um, were bodies burned? I don't know. But it's about the bubonic plague. So it's so odd that something that has that, uh, that provenance would 
be a so enjoy such a long, 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 long life as a child's song. So I'm just saying that maybe lockdown, lockdown, lock the door might in a hundred years be sung by little children holding hands and skipping around in a circle. And uh, <laughs> and I will add to the Only in America, and again, this is something from WESAFM, a source, a good source of local information, one. Do you know that possessing a condom more than one condom can be uh, considered um, a, a crime. Listen to this. This is beyond belief. Possessing an instrument of crime under Pennsylvania law, you think, refers to what? A gun. <laughs> a knife, maybe. Whatever. But guess what else can be considered an instrument of crime? And this was first reported, by the way, in the Tribune Review. And WESA credits them. But police in Allegheny County now classify condoms as instruments of crime uh, in cases where they have arrested a prostitute. So, you arrest a sex worker and you find the, in the sex worker's purse seven or eight condoms. Aha! You are possessing an instrument of crime and it counts as evidence of that. Counts as evidence of that. Now, realize how insane this is. Since if you are reduced to making money by selling your body, one of the first things you would do to ensure that at least you weren't going to die doing it, maybe, is by insisting your client wear a condom. And so... What would be if you are a sex worker and you know, what, would you only carry two so that it wouldn't be used against you if you got uh, first offense prostitution is a low-level misdemeanor, but possessing an instrument of crime is a more serious misdemeanor that calls for immediate detainment, fingerprinting, and going to jail. I just want you to say that this is insane. <laughs> On so many levels, it's beyond belief. And this could be stopped like that, like that another phone call, if uh, the district attorney, Stevens Zapala, would let people know, we ain't going to do this anymore that is 
A condom is not an in- instrument of crime. Jesus. Only in America. That's it, I think, right? Are we out? Done? Finished? Kaput? Thank you all so very much. Susan should be joining us tomorrow, as far as I know. And uh, have a good one. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.